Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Legal Zone with Regina Campbell. Uh, very proud to say that this is our episode one, I'm sorry, season one, episode three uh, podcast. Uh, hopefully we're getting a little bit better and we hope to get all the kinks down shortly. Uh, we are going to be moving into Apple Podcasts soon, so hopefully we're going to see you there as well and you become a subscriber. If not, you can always view any of our past uh, podcasts also on YouTube, in which case we also encourage you to be a subscriber also of our channel on YouTube. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, steps for employers to mitigate risks. This is a really important topic and many business owners do not realize the amount of risk that they actually run by the way they're doing business. Uh, most of us are small businesses within the United States and particularly in Florida, that is the case. And we have a tendency to run informally. Um, you know, Johnny, uh, I want you to work on a salary $1,000 a week. This is what you're going to do for me. Okay. Or, uh, you know, you know, Susie, we're going to work nine to five. I want you to clock in and clock out or, you know, fill in a timesheet and we don't give it much thought. Part of the problem is that there's not other policies in place, for instance, to limit the employee's ability to work overtime or to require the employee seek written approval for, to work overtime prior to incurring this. A lot of times there's abuse. Unfortunately, there is a little bit more of this also going on with remote work uh, because it's harder for employers to watch their employees. Uh, without putting additional sort of procedures in place in order to keep them sort of accountable, these employees, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But most of the time, people do not realize, or employees, business owners do not realize that they are actually running a risk of potentially having overtime claims or retaliatory uh, discharge claims, um, particularly you know within the Fair Labor Standard Act. So, Regina, they say, what is that? I don't understand. Most of the time, employers are coming to me when they've been threatened with a lawsuit, with an administrative proceeding or potentially with an actual lawsuit, an FLSA lawsuit. So this is the time which I explain to them and almost watch their heads spin and go, I don't understand, how can that be? Uh, very often, and I'll explain to you in a moment what, what these lawsuits are, are like and how we try to mitigate them with putting certain policies and procedures ahead of the lawsuits. Okay, so basically, uh, they're surprised to see that they're also being sued personally. Regina, how can that be? I'm doing this in a business. Don't I have protection under the corporate veil? And I explained to them, I said, well, unfortunately, no, because what happens is, is with these type of lawsuits, the statute actually permits the employee to sue the employer, um, I mean, the actual individual employer for wages that might not have been paid. Well, how can this be? Well, employment wages are highly regarded and protected in this country. And a lot of times there are there have been some scrupulous em employers and business owners also that try to get around potentially not paying uh, you know, employees. So they might run up a tab, so to speak, with the employees, uh, you know, misuse the employment laws within the company and then shut down the company and think they're going to get away from the actual liability. So the statute permits the uh, employee to actually sue a manager or someone directly in charge of their hours or the finances of the company, which is usually in small companies, the manager or the owner. So they can be sued for these employees' wages. So even if the company goes out of business, the individual is still held liable for potentially any judgment that's received for these type of wages. That's usually one of the biggest shockers that, the, that business owners um, get and that here, and I try to explain to them, you know, why the, the policies behind that and why that occurs in this type of area of law. Okay. And I explained to him that, well, Regina, we agreed, you know, we agreed it's a thousand dollars a week. Johnny said it was okay. He's been working like that for five years. I don't understand. How can he turn around and try to sue me for overtime wages when we had an agreement? Well, under the FLSA, 
it's irrelevant what the parties agreed to. If the employee is not properly classified as a non-exempt employee or they're classified as exempt, which is pretty much usually a salaried employee, but they're misclassified and they should have been receiving overtime uh, for any hours worked over 40, it's irrelevant what the agreement of the party is. What's important is actually uh, what the law says. And then in which case the employer says to me, well, okay, all right, uh, I don't have a problem. You know, Johnny didn't really actually work that much overtime. And then we talk a little bit about lunch breaks and whether or not he's given relieved from duty during the lunch breaks or does he work during lunch breaks. And we try to calculate the potential hours that Johnny could have worked overtime. And even then often it's, Regina, it's only four or five hours, maybe every couple of weeks. It's really not that much. Why is Johnny requesting 20 hours a week overtime for the last three years? Well, Johnny's probably capitalizing on the fact that there's no time keeping records. There's no indication of when Johnny actually worked which is ultimately the employer's responsibility. So and you say, well, Regina, I wouldn't keep timekeeping records because I, he was exempt, he was salaried, I didn't need them. Well, the problem is when you misclassify somebody, it, the owners are still on the business owner to have those timekeeping records so that when you do go before a court or an administrative proceeding or a judge to figure out the money owed to Johnny, you have an ability to do so. If not, you're gonna have to prove what Johnny is saying is not true, which is actually a little bit harder than you can imagine because it turns into a he said, she said. And you'll be surprised often when employees uh, have left or they're no longer willing to testify to what actually occurred. Some of those employees are also brought into the lawsuit, so in which case they become plaintiffs and of course they're not going to be cooperative and actually testify to what occurred or did not occur. So these issues, you do not want to rely on gathering evidence later on to prove these things. It's important to have timekeeping records. Well, Regina, if the person's salaried, why would I keep timekeeping records, people say. And I said, well, first thing, first thing you need to do is make sure that they're actually properly exempt. Okay. If they're not properly exempt or you're not sure, which is a very, a, a very complex actually analysis depending on the type of jobs that people have, most of the time exempt employees might be uh, high level professionals, computer sort of um, programmers, there's a particular area for art and creativity, but you have to fall within doing a certain amount of duties within that scope of each, each one of these exemptions in order to be able to classify for it. Most of the time people have mixed bags, you know, mixed duties, some that fall within the exception, some that do not. Now, if you have some duties that are sort of ancillary to the employee's specific job that fall outside the exemption, a lot of times that's something that may not actually uh, cut against the exemption. It just may have to be analyzed to make sure that's an ancillary and sort of a minor thing, minor duties that occur, and that primarily the person is engaged in exempt duties, exempt duties. So basically, um, it's an analysis, but I always tell my clients, in the event of any doubt as to how to do this or pay an employee, the best thing to do is pay them hourly. It's usually the safest thing. You're not have to worry about exemptions. Uh, unless, for instance, they're a teacher, uh, government workers have other types of exemptions or depending on the type of work they do. And of course, lawyers. Lawyers actually do not, we're, we are exempt. We are, <laughs> we're one of the few that you cannot, um, you know, there's not a question or it's not, it's a little, the analysis is not as hard if you're doing purely legal work in a legal office as a lawyer. But these are things that people do not often understand. They kind of co-mix it. Well, I'm giving them a salary. That's what we agreed to. Well, it's insufficient um, for most cases, and it's most of the time going to attract a lawsuit. That's usually when I find these lawsuits come about, when someone's a mixed employee or not properly classified, invariably the employee realizes, well, that employer's not gonna have timekeeping records, and I got them. And worst case, I can entrench them in litigation. It's gonna be rather expensive as they try to prove this, 
And most of the time, the employee is not paying for any fees. It's usually on a contingency that another law firm is going to take their type of cases. And the other attorney's attorney, the other, the employee's attorney, basically uh, will litigate the case. And of course, if they're in these type of cases, it's a little strange. If the employee's owed any money at all, uh, even if it's by accident, not, you know, no malice, no intent to, you know, shortcut the employee, uh, the attorney is entitled to all their attorney fees for bringing the case which often can be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70,000 dollars for the employees, even more for the employee's attorney. And that does not even include what you've spent on your actual attorney to defend the case. So these are sort of a different animal, so to speak, the way you treat them in litigation, the way you deal with them. My solution, one of my tips would be to be proactive, deal with it ahead of time as best as you can. There are certain things that we can do in employment agreements to mitigate this potential risk, but more importantly, timekeeping records, making sure you have a properly documented employee file is very important, and specific policies in place so that you can point to them. You say, okay, no, over to, in order to incur overtime, for instance, an overtime policy, in order to actually be able to work overtime, you must seek X person's permission, and you make sure it's a person of a high level's permission to uh, work overtime in any given week in writing so that it's been authorized. Otherwise, the onerous is on the employee if they did not seek that permission previously. Also, you might want to put in policies that the employee has, let's say, 10 days from the time in which they receive their paycheck to note any discrepancies on the uh, timesheet, you know, if there's anything wrong basically. So these are things that would be very helpful. And of course, you always have the employee sign off on everything and periodically do audits of your payrolls to make sure everyone's properly classified and being properly paid, whether it's deductions. Let's not forget deductions also if they're given to exempt, depending on how, like for instance, paid time off is done with exempt employees can get you in trouble. For the most part, exempt employees can only be given um, full days off, you know, eight hour inter intervals, so to speak, because they're normally salary. So this is a very, very complex area of law and it's very important to sort of stay on top of it if you have any questions. If you have any questions as to how to pay someone hourly is always, you know, employees always the best way, okay? But, um, you know, how do you do reimbursements? Uh, what if you advanced a loan to an employee? These things can, can sometimes get employers into trouble. Um, so it's something to keep an eye on very closely. Uh, another indicate, another sort of source right now is very, very, um, uh, sort of a hot topic right now, which is this COVID, you know, can you require your employees to get vaccinated? Uh, the EEOC says yes, with uh, provided you have certain exceptions for legitimate medical um, exemptions or reasons why they cannot take the vaccine or for legitimate religious reasons. You know, they're not allowed, you know, you can't require someone to take a vaccine. And you have some ability as an employer to question as to, you know, whether or not this is actually, uh, they're using the exemption properly, but we want to be careful with any kind of medical questions because at one point an employer can step over the boundaries of privacy and in which case they can get themselves into trouble. But also COVID policies in the office of some, if you know, if you're not requiring your employees to be you know, vaccinated, what are the policies for using for using masks, for using certain equipments, for cleaning up after yourself, for remaining distance? These are certain type of policies that should be in place right now, and it's something that's very important and overall, overall reaching for the company and implying, implicating all the employees in their health. Another example of another policy that's very important, and many people do, you know, business owners have employee handbooks that contain very, you know, a litany of policies from harassment, you know, policies of anti-harassment, who to report to, all the way down to what your uniform should look like, tardies if you're tardy, how you're supposed to report them every day, what's considered tardy, 
uh, documentation of any disciplinary action in the folder, sort of a tiered level of your disciplinary sort of uh, you know process in the company so that people can follow it. And the most important thing is regardless of what policy you put into place, it must be equally applied to everybody. Now, of course, there are some policies that don't, you know, you may have an executive that's not going to wear a uniform. That may not apply to the executive. But policies that can apply across the board need to be implemented um, equally on everybody. You've got to be very careful not to make it look like you're picking and choosing when to implement or enforce a policy, as that can start to look like and, and uh, discrimination, basically, you know, of that particular employee for whatever reasons. Um, but that's one way that you may potentially uh, catch a lawsuit. Another thing we talked about is uh, early on is that we were discussing retaliatory discharge claims. They often accompany um, right after an employee leaves or feels pushed out after a workman's comp claim. In other words, they feel like um, they're being penalized for putting in a claim for workman's comp. And their basically the allegation is that the employer got rid of them because they use workman's comp. Um, and in which case, of course, that is a protected activity to use workman's compensation. So that can be considered a, a retaliatory discharge under the workman's compact. But a lot of times on the overtime, uh, when you see an employee starting to behave a certain way, this is also why it's important to have policies that are evenly applied and, and sort of implemented. Um, when someone misses work and doesn't call in or someone doesn't come back from the lunch hour in time, it's important to document it because often these employees that are going to sue you on the FLSA acts or, or anything of that nature of wages, they sometimes have a tendency to act out right before and they know you don't have policies in place and you haven't documented their record to show that 10 times last month they were late, just all verbal basically, uh, discussions with them or re reprimands, um, they, they're going to say, they're going to act out potentially, they're going to leave and they're, or they're going to say they were fired because they complained about their overtime and since they never complained five years before, the first time that they ever complained, you went ahead and fired them. That's considered a retaliatory discharge and can also potentially give them additional damages. So you want to be careful with the context of everything. If you implement and apply everything equally, you will not have this issue because all employees will be treated the same. When any employee is late, their file is documented. Uh, it might be a simple reprimand, you know, so-and-so is late, okay, I want you to recognize it today and recognize the policy that if you're late more than three times, for instance, that you will be given a sort of, you'll be put on probation or a warning. Whatever your system is or, or procedures you want to put into place, put them in place, put them in writing, make sure every employee is, is aware of them and that they're also implemented fairly across the board to everybody, okay? So, you know, the, you know, these are just a couple of tips to kind of keep in mind, um, you know, as far as for employers. It's very, very important also to make sure you have your workman's comp insurance, you have general liability insurance. Most of the time it's required if you're in a location or a business. These are more, not workman's comp is required in most cases, depending on the type of business that you're in or if you're, you know, have a certain amount of employees. But general liability, depending on the location where you're at, may or may not be uh, required, but it's highly recommended. Um, also, any type of insurance related to car insurance that maybe your employees are doing errands with their own car or potentially a company car, you want to make sure that you're, they're covered in general. Another area in which a lot of employees or sorry, employers get themselves into trouble is independent contractors. They think, well, if I make them an independent contractor, I don't have to pay the extra taxes, I don't have to pay workman's comp, I don't have to pay health insurance, I'm going to make them an independent contractor. Well, going back to the original conversation we were talking about misclassification, just because you classify somebody as an independent contractor, you can even have them sign an agreement saying they're an independent contractor. 
But if you control their schedule, their tools, their ability, their, you know, their work hours for the most part, and they're heavily reliant on the company, where they basically look more like employees, um, they're going to be considered employees, and in which case that you're going to be penalized and have to pay all the, the, the taxes going backwards. Uh, employment taxes and potentially everything else that goes with that and all the benefits that they should have received. So you get, once again, you have to be very cautious on who you call an independent contractor, who you call what in the business. At the end of the day, employment law is a very complicated area and it needs to be in different areas need to be analyzed. Also take into consideration depending on the size of your company. If your company has more than 50 full-time employees, you're required to provide certain uh, you know, medical benefits or pay a penalty for not paying them on particular each employee. Keep in mind also that it's important to periodically do audits and classification checks. Also, as your company grows, which is hopefully the case, right? We always wanna see people grow and do better. Uh, basically, you're going to start to hit other levels. So in other words, when you reach a certain amount of employees, other types of acts are going to now apply to you. So for instance, the American Disability Act, you might, might apply to you after you reach a certain amount of employees. Uh, OSHA is of course always there, particularly depending on the industry and the type of company you have and so forth. So there's going to be always another set of rules that are going to apply to you and potentially on the state level as well. Many people do not realize, but even Miami-Dade County has additional employment ordinances that need to be followed as well. So there are additional ones from a state level down to a city, down to a county level that also have to be observed. So my you know, tip overall tip I would say to all the business owners is that you should make sure at least yearly you're running an audit on your classifications, on your payrolls, check to see what the new hourly minimum wage is, um, you know, check and see maybe new rules that might have applied. Think about new policies that learn, go backwards and learn, you know, what have, what have we learned from this year? What are the kind of issues that we've had with employees? Okay, let's put policies in place, let's make them clear, let's sit everyone down, let's train them properly. And ultimately remember that a happy staff makes a happy company and hopefully a successful product. And it'll foster, you know, employees staying longer, feeling better when they have clarity, feeling as if it's not oppressed, um, you know, feeling as if there is a mutuality within, between a, the company and the employee sufficiently, maybe where they want to stay with your company. And it's always better to have a happy employee. Where you have employees that are not happy or are a bad apple, shall I say, your policies will do a lot for you to help you mitigate those risks that they may be able to bring so, you know, again, once again, think about policies on how people can report up concerns, whether it's safety concerns or harassment concerns or anything of that nature. Really, the type of policies you put in place depends on the type of business that you have. And uh, ultimately, a business is a living thing. So it grows and you learn from it and you have new, new things that happen, such as in this last year, and you adapt. And you may have to implement new policies you never even thought of based on what you're seeing out there. You know, same thing with your clients. Basically, what we do, we adapt to the market. The same is also with employees, but most importantly, it's, it's important to stay compliant. So hopefully this has been helpful for everybody and uh, you know, love to have you, glad to see you again. Uh, we hope that you follow us on our social media accounts and become you know, followers and that you also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our new podcast channel, that's Apple Podcast channel is coming up. Uh, thank you so much and we look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Bye.